thought it would lead us in with a little music this week. All right. Hi, y'all. Happy Saturday. It's a very lovely, rainy, gray, slow, cool, chill, cozy, Haiga day here in Los Angeles. And I've been realizing now that I'm deep into the Bjork um, uh, content, I've realized that even though I haven't necessarily filmed like this or shared my thoughts like this before, this time of year, every year, starting probably in 2017 or 18, I find myself listening to Bjork. There's something about the elements, the, the darker uh, portion of the year, the more internal side of life that no matter where you are, I think uh, comes in the winter, that just draws me towards her art, which I think is very apt because she makes art that really reflects um, in no small part her homeland of Iceland, where there is such strong presence of nature and in the winter of dark, which really takes us beautifully to where we are today, um, which is the third chapter, as I see it, of Bjork's career. Now this chapter, um, I'm gonna cover four albums. I'm gonna skip one right dead in the center and we're gonna save that as a postscript and you'll, you'll see why. But so we're gonna cover four albums over the course of 15 years from 2007 to 2022. So what you might surmise from that is that this chapter, this period of Bjork's career is kind of like a final form for her. It's something that she has spent a lot of time in. She feels really comfortable in. This is a space and a form that really feels like hers to own. Um, and she's produced a lot of music. She's been very prolific in this phase of her career. So just a quick recap, where we've been. Chapter one, kind of like industrial, post-punk, early to mid 90s, um, early electronic kind of revolution, starting to, to mix media um, on the album Homogenic with strings and orchestral arrangements, the presence of a strong vocal, and then kind of a cacophony of new electronic sounds. Chapter two, really when her era's mentality takes off, concept albums start appearing, strong conceptual bedrocks of story, of instrument and of technology as the trifecta. Now chapter three starts where chapter two left off, where she was starting to explore in 2004's Medulla, the beauty and the storytelling available through the organic world. If you remember, Medulla was her all vocal album. It brought her just instinctively, it seems, towards concepts lyrically as a songwriter and as a storyteller, towards the natural world because she wasn't working with anything but organic elements to record that album. It was just the human voice. So she started singing about the ocean a lot and thinking about kind of Mother Earth. So let's start with 2007's Volta. Now, admittedly, this is not an album that I have spent as much time with comparative to how I've consumed the rest of her catalog, but it's a really cool, beautiful album. And it's definitely the first time where there's no bones about it. Bjork is talking about the climate, the environment and natural resources. There was a lot going on in the world at the time. We as a world were kind of in the like, like reckoning with climate change. And we've had at this point a number of years to digest like the inconvenient truth and all of the stories that were starting to emerge about 
the holes in the ozone and what our carbon footprints were and what fossil fuels were doing and how we were having a really deleterious impact on our environment. This was also a point in time where economic instability in 2008, obviously we had a huge collapse between 2006 and 2009, Iceland's economy collapsed. You may even just remember Kristen Wiig on Saturday Night Live as Bjork going on Weekend Update and making fun of the economic strategy of Iceland's prime minister to try to explain the conditions that led them to the collapse. And she said they tied all of the money in the nation to a horse and drove it into the river. There was um, an abuse and an acknowledgement of abuse of natural resources and of the natural world. And I think Bjork really felt the flame already building inside of her. So on the storytelling front, very climate centric. If you heard me say in chapter two when she was working visually with a lot of blacks and whites and grayscale, now she's working in technicolor. The album artwork is her suited in this red, yellow, green, neon color rendering of a, an environment abuser in a way, and it ties intimately with the first song on the album called Earth Intruders. And you'll remember uh, each, each album from here on out really explored one instrument or one family of instruments, and so on Volta was the horn. So you'll hear it in trumpets, in baritone horns, trombones, maybe tubas laid over. Um, of course, she's Bjork, so there's going to be a lot of electronica. So here's a bit of the first song called Earth Intruders, where Bjork really paints a picture that we are stomping through the world recklessly um, and that we are actually the intruders. It starts with these marching footprints, painting the picture of like a conquest or colonialism or invasion. Kind of like tribal elements. In a way, that synth kind of sounds like 2007. It kind of sounds like early Lady Gaga. Electronic music was making its way into the mainstream. So it's cacophonous. The sound here is a bit of chaos. So Bjork's really making like battle songs now, which she's kind of dipped into before, but this is a very clear kind of call to action or almost like a song shaming our presence on the earth. The second song in the album is called Wanderlust. This is a really cool interface of the organic nature of the horns um, against the inorganic electronic materials. Sounds like DJs and marching bands in this kind of cool, strange union. So Bjork says there, I want more. Painting the picture of kind of like a Christopher Columbus mindset of like, I have wanderlust, therefore I'm gonna go out and conquer everything that I see and make it my dominion. A song called Vertebrae by Vertebrae. Another song called Pneumonia. Now, Pneumonia was not the last time she explored the idea of like viruses or contagions, and you'll hear that in the next album. This is a really beautiful horn arrangement here, set against rainfall. So there's so much in the narrative voice of the 
the conqueror in this album and this um this song called declare independence is the battle cry it seems for those that are being oppressed or that are being conquered or invaded it sounds like a, a sister record to an early song in her catalog called army of me which we explored in the first chapter kind of like hearkening back to the punk days declare independence don't let them do that to you. It's got like a Riot Girl effect. It sounds kind of like a Slater Kenny record in a way, like an early 90s Seattle kind of vibe. And I think um, she also started in her in her own kind of personal life um, and going public um, defending Iceland, standing up for certain politicians, condemning others that were um, maybe responsible for things like fracking or for just the depletion or the abuse of natural resources in Iceland. And she became much more of a political voice for her homeland and for her people and for what was right, um, using almost Iceland as a microcosm of this macro that was happening in the world where we were really having an irreparable impact on the climate. Now, this brings us to an album that is so special and so uniquely Bjork. There's no one else on the planet that could have accomplished what Bjork accomplished on this album. It is 2011's Biophilia. Visually, sonically, you may have seen this or experienced it somewhere and just not having known. This is like an art museum installation of an album. There's so much multimedia complexity to it. Let's start with talking about the technology that she was fascinated with for this album. Um, this was an album where she actually made an app. She started working with technologists in a different way and she encouraged people um, to consume the album, not necessarily in just auditory format, but through this app. And the app was kind of like an early iPhone build app where you know we were in app world and the developer created this like constellation. I remember having it on my phone for a little while and you would basically zoom in and zoom out of these different parts of the cosmos and in each section would be kind of like the home base and maybe the story and the presence of the song of uh, of one of the, I believe it's a nine, maybe an 11 song album. Um, and then you could actually listen to the song. And I believe you could also make your own remix of the song. She was really doing a lot with technology at this time. Now let's talk about the presence of instruments on this album. She has never, um, since, since this album, achieved such a massive feat of innovation with the instruments that she has used for an album. This was not just an album serving as a study or exposition into one particular instrument or one particular family of instruments. Bjork actually commissioned a new, never before made, never before heard instrument for every single song on this album. Actually use recombinant pieces of many existing, not just instruments, but other really bizarre materials to make new instruments. That instrument was inspired by the topic matter that she was exploring in the song and then used in the recording of each song. Now what this meant for her, because many of these instruments were massive, these were large scale instruments, she couldn't tour very well with these instruments. They were not very portable, they couldn't fly. So she was only able to do a set of key shows, I believe around the United Kingdom where the instruments could be safely shipped, installed, and then deconstructed and moved to the next location. To give you a sense of the scale, the second song on the album, Biophilia, is called Thunderbolt. Now what comes to mind when you think of an instrument that could capture a thunderbolt? If you've ever been to a museum, a science museum, where you've seen a Tesla coil, it's basically a manufactured large chamber in which lightning can be 
created. <laughs> it uses magnetism and electricity within kind of like this massive bird cage to zap a volt of lightning from top to bottom or bottom to top. I'm not sure which direction. So Bjork took what I believe was several Tesla coils, adjust the manufacturing or the size and scale of the Tesla coils so that they played a certain note and then connected the Tesla coils to a MIDI keyboard. So she actually had someone playing lightning. I definitely recommend that a better way to consume this album front to back is to watch a recorded performance of it. So here's the lightning being struck. So this is a strange listen if you're just consuming it as an album, so I would definitely recommend watching it. Opening song called Moon uses a harp to pluck in a time signature that correlates with the number of phases that we recognize the moon goes through. So from waxing to full to waning to new, and I believe that leaves us with a time signature of like 13. Now the music video for this album, she does in the outfit that is featured on the cover of the album. She's basically in mother nature drag. She is mother nature. Her big wig represents the universe. She has this blue ring painted around her face. It's very cosmic. And then she has the harp or a rendering of the harp that's being played here used as kind of like a, a belt or a midsection around her. Another song in the album called Crystalline is meant to kind of spark imagery and the sound of like stalactites and stalagmites and crystals and diamonds. A new take on something similar to the glockenspiel that she used on the album Vespertine. This one actually really has more of a chorus than others. Two others real quickly, one called Hollow, um, which is meant to kind of conjure like the dark matter of space. The instrument here being some sort of like reformed pipe organ. You can hear it, it's almost the presence of air puffs. Using both her voice and then at least in the live versions in Icelandic women's choir to kind of layer these like angelic textures. And then finally a song called Mutual Core which came up in um, the album Volna Cura's tour which we'll cover as the kind of final postscript chapter of her career. And just to give you a sense of what the visuals for this album looked like, here's the album artwork. She's really living her Mother Earth life. You know, Biophilia is kind of like the capstone. It's like her really having risen to the task of embodying Mother Earth and speaking on behalf of all of its resources. All right, y'all, now here, right now, in sequence, right after Biophilia's release, comes the album that I'm going to leave out of this chapter, um, and you'll see why, but was really just to give you a an introduction was and is really seen as one of the capstones of her career. One of the things that 
all of these chapters all birthed this album in 2015 called Volnacura. Now, Volnacura was fully centered around the collapse of her marriage in a lot of ways broadened her listenership for the first time in a long time whereas all of these releases leading up to it in a way were kind of narrowing it i think it was easier for everyone to latch on to because we're all not as complex minded as she is and this album was really just about a decaying in a, in a dying relationship and that's something that i think a lot of people can relate to and experience she still comes out of it deeply in the nature chapter. So we now have two more records where she's exploring more instruments, pieces of nature and narrative concepts that put her out in the natural world. Utopia is a really light, beautiful kind of restoration of peace record where I believe she had started to fall in love again and she was feeling kind of the functional opposite of what 2015's Volnacura found her anguishing in. Utopia, in a way, is kind of like her second Vespertine record that was really melodic and celebrated infatuation. Utopia is kind of return to that, and it's elevated. She stays in that almost drag-like aesthetic of heavy makeup, unbelievably ornate costuming. I definitely encourage you guys to look up some of the artifacts of this era in 2017 to about 2020, I would say. The Artwork on the cover is pretty intense looking. It's also got some references to anime in it, especially with the kind of like blown out eyes that are really dark and quite big. It's meant to almost conjure that she's a cartoon or that she's an alien form. She has a fetus on her neck. She's kind of talking about rebirth and rechanneling youth and like the life cycle that she was experiencing of like the life and death of a love. But you know, it's weird and it's it's a bit arresting at first um this was her flute record so as you've now heard we've kind of moved through different instruments we've we've moved through the human voice the horn now we are arriving at a place where she's really infatuated with the flute and there's a small flute choir that she arranges for throughout this album everything is very airy the visuals are cotton candy colored all of the music videos are her in the clouds or her in some like utopian picturesque kind of world and the flute really painted that sonic picture of it now i will say by this point in bjork's career no matter what instrument she was using i find that she has a knack and an inclination towards the atonal which just means she could be using the most beautiful instrument in the world but the way that she writes for it is not often the most conventionally beautiful she can make flutes sound kind of weird she clusters them together she writes arrangements with a lot of dissonance movement melodically that to even a trained ear doesn't make a lot of sense. It's just very boundary pushing. So even when she's in this kind of euphoric utopian place, she still pushes like crunchy, strange, kind of avant-garde sounds as well as visuals. The first song on this album is really a perfect encapsulation of the feeling of euphoria. It's called Arisen My Senses. It's about her senses basically waking back up after a period of mourning and loss and death of a relationship. And I think the flourishes and the flutes and the harps and the electronics um, really capture that. I don't believe this was the first album, but this was an album in a series of albums. There's been at least two where she's collaborated with electronic musician named Arca, who is really boundary pushing, programs beats, and has been a, a friend and collaborator with Bjork for quite a while. A lot of songs in this album have the presence of Arca. And a lot of these songs feature bird calls near her house in Iceland. So 
that's some sort of like wood duck or something that's like a water bird. Just that kiss. It feels like waking up after hibernation, right? Expansive, technicolor, bright light, wind, air, flutes, harps, birds, just weightlessness. Kind of a, a version of what she starts painting in Arisen My Senses that really feels like a song that's kind of an older sibling of Vespertine. It's called Blissing Me, which is, again, Bjork kind of singing about sex and painting a very avant-garde music-forward picture of it. Now You can hear the similarities to the song Moon from Biophilia here, where it's just one beautiful vocal lead and then a harp behind her. Really, Bjork has had an intimate connection with strings throughout her career. We heard them first in kind of orchestral capacity on homogenic, and then throughout we have heard whether they're violins, violas, cellos, chamber-sized orchestras, bigger orchestras, or just single harp players. Now the lead single, and I put that in quotes because while it was released and promoted as a single, it does have a video um, for this album, uh, was called The Gate. It doesn't strike me as particularly sonically resembling the album. It was such a strange one for me. It was really hard for me to try to, at the time, foresee what the album would sound like through this song. But I believe conceptually and narratively, this was meant to be the gate opening and her eyes opening. And so that's my interpretation of why this song was released first. So here's just a little bit of the gate. Basically the idea again of kind of like finding yourself finally on your journey in a paradise, in utopia. This song almost sounds like video game music. It sounds like a Zelda song or something like that. Some really interesting produced vocals, kind of like running up a synth pad there. And then finally the title track, Utopia. Very flute choir heavy. I think by now you kind of get the picture of otherworldly, paradise-like, utopian bliss fantasy. So that's Utopia. And then this brings us to the most recent album in Bjork's canon, another exploration into part of the natural world, different narrative topic, different story, but equally focused on instruments, technology, and a story. Now this is uh, an album called Fasora. You may have realized that by now all of Bjork's albums are mononymous, meaning there's one word. They're not all actual words. Um, they are recombinant words, sometimes words that she makes up. She gives a much better and clearer description of what these words come from and phonetically what draws her to put these words together. But Fasora, Bjork calls her 
mushroom record. And at first it seems like, oh, Bjork's on her psychedelic journey. And that may well be true. But what she actually means by that is that she's kind of inspired by the idea of fungus and mushrooms as the part of the natural world that is born out of death and decomposition. The thing that keeps us in balance and in cycle and is very, very, very close to the ground. So whereas her last album was just above the cloud layer, this album finds her kind of in the dirt, um, down where the regeneration is being made. The soil is turning from old to new into old into new again. The cycle of life and death and rebirth kind of happening beneath her. So she's very on the ground in this album. Now, the lead single I recommend you go consume as a music video on your own. This is honestly one of the weirdest things I've ever seen Bjork do. It's called Adipo, I believe I'm saying that correctly, A-T-O-P-O-S. I'm not exactly sure what that means, but I will tell you what the song is visually, which is her dressed as kind of a fungus spore, neon green. She has a couple of different outfits in the video with others dressed as mushrooms. It's giving very Oompa Loompa, Willy Wonka of the mushroom kingdom. There's a DJ, there's Bjork, and then there's the choir of the instrument that she's chosen for this record, which is the bass clarinet. Now, if those of you are not familiar, bass clarinet is like the lowest, the deepest um, clarinet that there is in the family. I believe there's probably a contrabass clarinet, but it's very long. It touches the ground. And when played certain ways, it sounds really goofy. It kind of, the clarinet and the, the lower clarinets, the alto and the bass clarinets are often used symphonically. And when they're used in scores to kind of connote like goofiness or someone like tripping or being silly or kind of plodding down the street they have that feeling of kind of like humdrum goofy gait or goofy walk um she writes for a small chamber choir of bass clarinetists who she features in this video dressed up as mushroom oopa loopa spores and it's it's just kind of campy and funny. It's kind of like we're watching like a RuPaul's Drag Race moment because the costumes are really just out of this world. And she's, y'all, it's 2022. She's been at this for however many decades now. She's just like on one. She's on her own shit. She doesn't really care. This is what's inspiring her. She's creating it. The I will say the sound of the bass clarinet choir is like the flutes in Utopia, a bit atonal. It's a rich, beautiful instrument. It has the capacity to feel like a cello, very enrapturing and dignified, but she kind of makes it sound like goofy and weird. They're cl clusters and crunchy chords. Um, anyway, here's a little taste of Adipo. about connection, human connection, and disconnection through technology. Like, it kind of sounds like they're messing up, right? <laughs> like, uh, this is kind of like, it comes off in some capacities as like her senior thesis composition where the professors are like, good job, Bjork. Okay, I don't get it, but I love it for you. <laughs> Um, there's a song on this album called Ovule. It's a song with a visual um, that uses some 3D and maybe even computer-generated um, visuals. You'll have to go see for yourself. Exploring blood, and she's like dressed up as kind of like a like part of the hemoglobin family. I mean, here's a little bit of Ovule. 
Some horns again, kind of harkens Volta from 2007. This one has a more recognizable meter and beat. Um, a song called Ancestress, as a visual at least, is devoted towards um, the death of Bjork's mother. It is um, pictured as kind of a funeral dirge and a procession of folks in, again, I believe red clothing. Um, and it's kind of an intense reflection on her maternal line um, dying and of the things that are carried from generation to generation. And then finally, if only just for the name, I wanted to include a collaboration with an incredible, really cool kind of avant-garde R&B artist, an electronic artist, I believe, uh, called Serpent with Feet. And this song is called Fungal City. So as much as your imagination will allow you, do you feel like you're in a spore family? Do you feel like you're down on the earth with the mushrooms, magic or otherwise? I love Serpent with Feet's voice. I think it is so textural, beautiful. She has a penchant to grow songs on this record and on other records to these like really explosive conclusions, which pulls them away from being kind of traditional pop songs because they just grow and grow and grow and grow and then they burst and then they're over. Um, but they're kind of, they're very performative in that way and they're almost campy, like how small she can start and how big she can finish. So anyway, y'all, that was a fast track through four records over 15 years of Bjork's career that I see as really outlining her chapter in nature. And I think this is very much the chapter where she not only is meant to be and in some capacity has always been, but really a place that is uniquely hers. Um, the nature chapter definitely has like highs and lows and things that are more listenable and things that are less listenable. This feels like a home to her and a place that she's always kind of wanted to be and gravitated towards and now she's definitely here so y'all that's chapter three almost a wrap on my take on bjork's career in chapters but we do have one more and in a way it's kind of akin to saving the best for last but thanks for spending this rainy drizzly cool inside saturday with me going through bjork out in the wild and i'll see you for the next one